was trying to figure out how to, like, fit Ussy into it. Like, did he put his whole <laughs> Ukulusi into it? Ukulusi. <laughs> oh my god. That is abhorrent. That's horrid. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month, it is Sally Rooney month. We're reading in chronological order, in the order in which they were written. So this week, we've moved on to normal people. And my guest this month is Jess. Hi, Jess. Hi, Tuck. Have you gotten any more qualifications? For this week than last week? Since the last time we talked, I have written a bunch more notes on my legal pad and (laughs) read a lot of contemporary fiction. So I guess in that sense, yes, I've been going to the library a lot. So it's summer break now. It's been the first week of my summer and I have been going to the library. I've been there three times since summer started. Oh my God. And I I live like a mile from the central library, so it's like really, really pretty. There's like four floors and there's like art exhibits and stuff. So like it feels like a destination, you know, like it feels like a place to be. And so I have been there three times and I just read this book that I finished all in one day that I love. I haven't told you about this, Tuck. It's called I Have Some Questions For You. And it's by Rebecca Mackay, who was nominated for a Pulitzer for her novel, The Great Believers, which is about the AIDS crisis. But this book is about a, like, murder at a prep school. But really, it's about, like, two students who, like, start a podcast about the murder and their professor or their teacher uh, was there at the time of the murder and she's the narrator so she's like talking about like she was roommates with this murdered girl and she like has these students who start this podcast and she's kind of like are people gonna think that I'm like putting them up to it like this is kind of weird but she also starts to like unlock some like memories that she has where she realizes oh that like that might mean something but the reason why I wanted to read it was because I read about I read an article where the writer was talking about how like she has a lot of really complicated feelings like nuanced feelings about the true crime genre and how it's like kind of like exploitative a little bit but also like it's really hard to look away and so she was like let me write a book where it's not exploiting the real murder of a real girl but is still like compelling in that way and also is kind of like critiquing that genre and being like how come we only care about women after they're dead Oh, and it was really good. That's true. So I do recommend it, but I'm extra qualified because I have been reading contemporary fiction and not just um, the high school essays that I had been reading before this past week. I don't know if what I read this week counts as contemporary fiction, but I am recommending this to every person I know. I just read the book Damnation Spring. I was finishing it at the breakfast table this morning and started sobbing like three (laughs) minutes before I needed to leave for work. 
And then I started crying harder because I knew I couldn't finish the book at work. Because, like, I oh. couldn't just be sobbing in the break room on my lunch break. Yeah. That is tough. You're the like... author did so right. She did so right. Or he. I really don't know who wrote this book. <laughs> um, It came from the ether. But, like... Things just, like, kept, like, twists just kept coming, and I kept being, like, I don't really know how you're gonna get yourself out of it. She did it right. That's always really impressive when you're, like, I don't, you've kind of candied yourself into a plot corner, ma'am, and then they do it sometimes. Sometimes they don't really do it. (laughs) And the question I think that I had as I got further and further into this book was, like, how does this end? Because I don't think it can be in a neat little bow and stay true to, like, the themes of the story and, like, what this is yeah. all about. Right. And it wasn't a neat little bow. But it, but like, you weren't, like, ended betrayed right. by the ending? No, I wasn't betrayed. I, as the very sad thing was happening, I was like, oh, yeah. 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 I think... Bring. Yeah, it's about um the redwoods and Love. pesticides. Hate. <laughs> yeah, I was I was talking to my coworker to, coworker today about pesticides and talking about how this book had a lot of. There's this pesticide called two four D, and there's another one called two four eight T, and both of them are used in Agent Orange. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. But they are just, like, spraying it out of planes onto the redwood forests to kill the underbrush. Oh, my God. So that they can keep, yeah, so they can, like, keep cutting down the redwoods. Yeah. That's, like, I feel like they specifically and intentionally and with nefarious intentions name pesticides with, like, just, like, a bunch of, like, a keyboard smash. In order to make it so that you're not like, wow, what an evil chemical. Because when you say Agent Orange, it's like, oh, that's up to no good. But if you say, like, 2,4-D, it's like, okay, how mad can you really get? (laughs) Yeah, like, you really have to summon up the ability to, like, be mad about it. There's this quote that's like... The mark of a civilized mind is the ability to weep at a column of numbers. And I can't remember oh. who said it. But, oh. like, the idea that, like, you, if you, like, can conjure up, like, human emotion at, like, data, that means that you really are, like, able to, like, live in the world as it has been constructed for us, where we are, like, always being manipulated. Like, if you can actually see through it. Oh, it was Bertrand Russell. The mark of a civilized man was the capacity to weep over a column of numbers. Statistical empathy. That makes a lot of sense. I remember in college I read this book called Ivan's War, because I took a Russian history class. And when you read about World War II, mostly you read about it from an American or a Western European point of view. Because we, in the U.S., simply are like, well, Russia was kind of our ally in World War II, and thank God Stalingrad never fell. But, like, I don't think we understand that, like, 
like they replaced their multi-million person army wholesale like four times in world war ii literally insane yeah unfathomable to me like truly i don't think that i'm fully a civilized man because like i can hear that and i can just like carry on about my day with my little cold brew but that's like unconscionable like horrific and the only reason that i understood it is because i read it from a narrative point of view right where i saw where i like saw on the page actual soldiers with actual names with actual families yeah but if you just tell me 12 million russians died i'm like well there's another russian war yeah which is super pervasive in american history teaching the idea that just like well that's just how russia fights they just outlast and how do they do that just throw peasants tell me how they did that they Mm -hmm. throw humans at it yeah yeah (sighs) yeah that's really really crazy but like our brains are built for stories they're not built for numbers and so it makes sense to like not really comprehend it until you realize like oh that's a real person who like had their little sandwich packed for them by their russian mother like once you have those details then you can start to like kind of feel the tragedy of it there's this book that i read called secondhand time by svetlana alexievich which is like a it's a form of like documentary literature is what she calls it where she just like interviews a bunch of people and then like sort of narrativizes what they tell her and she is belarusian i think and she is chronicling like the downfall of the soviet union and so she tells like all these stories of these different people who like had wildly different perspectives on the ussr like some of them saw it as like such a loss like they were like grieving over the ussr because they really believed in it as this like idealized idealistic uh like like they believed in communism genuinely and so they felt like their lives had more meaning if they were like a part of the USSR, even though it wasn't perfect. And then other people were like, thank God, like that was so oppressive. Like we have been liberated. And it's super interesting to like read about it from the point of view of all those different people, because you realize like, oh, at the time that this was happening, like obviously, but like you never think about it. Like at the time that this was happening, nobody knew what was going to happen next. and they were all kind of like bewildered by their country collapsing, which obviously had never happened in their lifetime before. And so everybody has different like takes on it. And I think that we tend to think that our like current life or like our current time is more controversial than previous ones. And just because we forget the stories, which is why we read the books. It's why we read the books. We got to read the books. <laughs> Speaking of reading books, maybe we can talk about um, the book that we're reading for this week. Um, we're reading Normal People by Sally Rooney. Also has a hit, Netflix, hit Hulu series, which I think is, um, this is one of those shows that it is, like, classic to be kind of shocked that someone recommended it to you. The way that, like, it's shocking to my roommate when the little old lady's in her office like, recommend that she watches Bridgerton, because her, <laughs> her, the little old ladies in her office are basically being like, you should go watch this softcore porn. Yeah, literally. Which is really what normal people is in the show. 
Like, it does a lot of good, but a lot of it is just, like, you're watching two hot people have, apparently, extremely satisfying sex on on screen. Which can also be good in its own way. Yeah. It is- I've never seen the show, but I- I I feel the need to speak up on principle for (laughs) softcore porn. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. It really is a very good show. It just does feel weird to be like, oh my god, you have to watch this show. Yeah, you're really coming out as a horny, horny person. Like! That you're like, you've got to watch it. I want Sam to watch this show because I, like, want him to know what I'm talking about. But I don't want to watch it with him. And I don't want him to watch it with me. You don't feel comfortable watching it with your boyfriend? I don't don't want to watch softcore porn with anyone. Right, but I feel like it's a little different if it's, like, I don't know. I feel like I would be like, I don't really want to watch this with my my buddies and my pals, and God forbid my family, but oh, like yeah. I don't, you I don't and your mom like, watching normal people. Oh my god. She would have <laughs> so much to say. She'd be like, where are their accents from again? <laughs> where are they from? <laughs> she she'd be like, why are they talking like that? She wouldn't be trying to yeah, cover that's... both your eyes and hers at the same time. I don't think I've ever people always talk about like oh, it's so awkward when there's, like, a sex scene on the screen and you're with your parents. And, like, I don't think I've ever actually experienced that. I've just, like, heard people talk about it and, like, absorbed it as though it was one of my experiences because that would truly be mortifying. Because what would happen is my mom would, like, be appalled and, like, try to, I don't know, like, change the channel or something. And my dad would, like, pretend that he's not being judgmental (laughs) about it. He'd be he'd try to say something smart about like the cinematography or something, but you would like be able to tell that he thinks that everybody who watches this is a heathen. Yeah, my even on like cable television, like if people like made out a little too heavily on TV, my dad would be like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> my word. My word. And then he'd change the channel. Yeah. Maybe I'm just too repressed to, like, watch something with a lot of sex in it with my boyfriend. Like, that's my last, my last, like, vestige of my upbringing is just being like, um, I don't think we, I don't don't think we're supposed to be watching this. The the purity culture says you can have sex, but you can't watch other people have sex, even on Hulu. (laughs) Well, and, like... With anyone else. Yeah, with anyone else. Because, like, the Christians love quiet shame, but... Yeah. But, like, I feel like, like, Sam would not be weird about it. Like, he... Also, you you made him read very smutty fiction and then, like, read it out loud to you. So I, like I didn't make odd. him read it out loud. He did that of his own accord. <laughs> I don't know. I did feel I did feel very exposed with him reading it. I was like, oh, like, I feel like he's finding out a lot about me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I did think that his reading voice, reading smut was very funny because he just like has a very like flat affect. And so when he was like, 
reading ridiculous smut out loud in my AirPods when I was like at Trader Joe's. I was like, no fucking way. This is crazy. I was like, are we going to do this? And he was like, yeah, we're going to do it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I I was like at the self-checkout line being like, Sam, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am really glad we're reading Sally Rooney and I don't have to do another month of like inane romances that all have the same plot. Because like. I I Sally Rooney books don't have any plot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that like growth and growing up is plot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We should we should summarize the the plot (laughs) that does exist. We should start actually doing the things that you have structured into your podcast. Sorry, I'm so good at getting us off topic. Anyway. I do think the best parts of podcasts are the off-topic parts. Um, yes. I think you do have to do, like, normal things, but, like, it's fun. Yeah. Like, this is the fun part. Okay, I'll read the back of the book since, spoiler alert, I do own this book. Um... Connell and Marianne grew up in the same small town, but the similarities end there. At school, Connell is popular and well-liked, while Marianne is a loner. But when the two strike up a conversation, awkward but electrifying, something life-changing begins. Normal People is the story of mutual fascination, friendship, and love. It takes us from that very first conversation to the years beyond, in the company of two people who try to stay apart but find that they can't. I think that is a solid back of the book blurb I think but it's a true blurb yeah it's just like tells you kind of like the circumstances but then doesn't reveal literally anything about that hasn't been revealed probably in like the first chapter so no spoilers at all which partially again is because it's kind of light on plot but I like that that's not a criticism for me a lot of the people on Goodreads are foaming at the mouth because there's no plot but I like it this way <laughs> and I think it the summary here is good but plot doesn't add to this book like yeah it's a character study it is a character study and like the characters grow and change and do good things and bad things and like if you didn't want to read a character study I don't know why you're mad that it is one I am going to do a two-minute summary of okay. what all the stuff that happens Clock's for on. the people who have not read it. Okay, so Connell and Marianne, Connell and Marianne are in school together. Connell is a popular soccer boy. I think they changed that into the show for some reason to like a different sport. Anyway, um, and rugby. he is, yeah, and he's very uh, anxious about people liking him and about his reputation and he doesn't really like like his friends necessarily but he wants people to like him because he's just like generally a pretty anxious person uh marianne is um a loner but kind of like in a a bit of a like standoffish way like she kind of like argues with the teachers and like doesn't really care to be liked like she's not trying to do that they end up becoming a thing secretly because Connell doesn't want people to find out because Marianne is like 
kind of like made fun of a lot and doesn't have a good reputation and stuff. Um, also, Connell's mom works for Marianne's parents or mom, not parents. Her dad is dead. Sorry to bring that up, Marianne. Um, so Marianne's family employs uh, Connell's mother. That's how they meet. They are in a secret relationship. They really like respond to each other like on a very deep level like their physical relationship is really fulfilling for both of them and they have conversations that neither of them can have with anyone else they both are very lonely at school in different ways but then Connell basically based on his like inability to stand up to his friends or like do anything that causes any sort of like social conflict um really hurts Marianne's feelings. They break up. They both go to college at the same college. Marianne ends up being really popular. Connell is kind of lonely. The roles reverse. And then they just like continue to orbit around each other. They like come back together. They go apart. They come back together. They go apart. And each time it's based on like some sort of miscommunication that has to do with like one or both of them, like really feeling like very insecure for different reasons, which we will get into. But then at the end, they sort of like reconcile with each other and are communicating a lot better. And then Connell gets the opportunity to move to New York for his writing and he goes and Marianne stays, but they leave each other with the like sort of understanding that they like both will always be in each other's lives in whatever way that sort of. The end. Yeah. That's about it. That's about it. But there's also, like, the obligatory, in every Sally Rooney book, they, like, take a trip to some sort of very nice vacation destination in Europe. So in Conversations with Friends, it's in France. In this one, it's in Italy. And then some sort of, like, big interpersonal drama happens in this beautiful location. And when they come back, everything's different. (laughs) Oh, Jess, the Italy episode is actually really wonderful. Really? They, like, Connell and Marianne see each other for the first time in months, just like in the show, and they, like, are out at Marianne's family's, like, small Italian villa, you know, as one has, and Mm -hmm. they, like, bike into town together to, like, buy groceries, and, like... Just, like, generally, there's, like, a bunch of gratuitous shots of them just, like, biking through the Italian countryside. And they're so and right for that. Call Me By Your Name. Oh. And I've never seen Call Me In Italy, Italy, I'm like, you would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you would not be able to get over <laughs> so many things about it. I mean, like, there, there's, like, a weird age gap that's problematic. There's, like, a lot of, like, pretension. I think that you would just be like, this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is very beautiful. And Sufjan Stevens really, like, did something with the soundtrack. But I don't think she does, would like it. Does he have ukulele in the songs that he plays? Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> Sufjan Stevens? I think there are a lot of people that we know who have played a Sufjan Stevens song with a ukulele. I don't think i don't know if he has you i don't think i would even be able to like identify a ukulele sound without seeing a ukulele i was trying to figure out how to like fit ussie into it like did he put (laughs) his whole (laughs) ukulele into it (laughs) oh my god 
That is abhorrent. That's horrid. Well, I, I've been listening to a lot of the Binchies, and they're always putting Ussie on everything. And you know what? It's yes. fucking funny every time. <laughs> they, I was also trying to think of how to put Ussie into Sufjan Steven's name. I think he's just, like, un Like, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's this joke format that Diego has been using a lot that has, like, wormed itself into my brain that I can't stop doing. It's like the... She blank on my blank till I blank. Oh, and so in my head I just do that. <laughs> and so I've just been saying she soup on my yawn till I Stevens. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the original, the Stroganoff one? Oh, I didn't know that was the original. According to Diego, the original is <laughs> she Sam on my Freddy till I Carly. I think. No, the original one is she's stroking on my beef till I'm off. Oh, wow. Yeah, you see, that's a lot better than all the ones he's done. (laughs) (laughs) Sam is always really trying to find a good one, but I don't remember any of them right now, and I won't pretend to. They're all, it's pretty hard. Yeah, it's pretty hard. The best one that I have come up with is just with Diego's name, which is she D on my egg till I O. Oh, God. (laughs) That one's bad. (laughs) Okay, we should talk about I don't know. I thought I kind of did something. Yes, sorry. (laughs) No, you did do something. It doesn't make it good, though. (laughs) I think we should talk about the characters like who they are because I think that when you talk about like oh it's these two people who can't stay away from each other like that doesn't really say anything if we really get into like what do we think about these characters I think that that goes a long way you know I think that makes sense do you want to talk I kind of feel like I want to talk about Marianne first because I have so many more things to say about Connell yeah so tell me your thoughts about Marianne so, Marianne has Irish waif disease, like every female main character of a Sally Rooney book. Um, I generally think that Marianne's character makes a lot of sense. We are, like, told as readers that she is, like, has grown up in an abusive household and pretty consistently is told by the people in her life that she is, like, cold and unfeeling, which, if you are told that enough, you are going to believe you are cold and unfeeling. I think what is upsetting to me is that I am annoyed that she can't see past what other people are telling her about herself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that she, like, sort of has this thing that we saw a lot in um conversations with friends which is that like the circumstances in which she grew up which like she has this older brother who uh Connell's mother refers to as having a weak personality who just like because he's very clearly like not well liked and not very smart and like all this stuff like he just like bullies Marianne mercilessly and is like really cruel to her and also like very uh sort of like vulnerable to her in a weird way like he like wants her to never be mad at him and like gets angry with her for like being cold to him 
Um, but similar to Francis in conversations with friends, they both like use coldness as a way of like keeping themselves from being hurt by people Mm -hmm. as like a defense mechanism. They're just like, I need to like go somewhere else so that I do not get like hurt over and over again by these people who are like supposed to love me. And I think that her family is not written particularly well. Like they're just very flatly bad. Um, But I also think that sometimes like that's how people feel as they are growing up. Like, they don't really think of their family as having much interiority. They just like think about how it feels to be in a conversation with them and they feel like powerless and they feel domineered and all these different things. But one part about it that I do think is really well written is how Connell like doesn't really understand his, the difference between his relationship with his mom and Marianne's relationship with her family because Connell's mom had him at like 16 and she's like kind of like a bestie mom like she is she like tells it like it is to him she definitely is not like just there to be his friend but she also like is very close with him and like very clearly loves him and they have a pretty healthy relationship even when they argue it's like in a very healthy way it's never like personal attacks um and so connell when he like comforts marianne about her her like feeling unlovable and like feeling like there's something like broken inside of her there's something like fundamentally wrong with her he's like well your friends and family love you and she's like my family literally hates me like my brother told me to die like literally and connell's like oh my god and that happens several times where connell is just kind of like oh well like what happened like what did you say to get them to say that And Marianne is just, like, this, like, small, like, broken deer in headlights being, like, what do you mean? What did I do? Do you think it's my fault? And I think that that is, like, pretty well written just because Connell, like, is doing a thing that I think a lot of people, maybe especially men, but, like, a lot of people do, which is just, like, clumsily trying to be, like, oh, it can't be that bad. Like, they're there because they just don't have any experience with whatever the person is talking about. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes good men lack the ability to see true irrationality in others. <laughs> and sometimes they're good and they know that other men are irrational and bad. But sometimes they mm-hmm. look at a situation that should make sense and to most people in their lives make sense. Like everyone has parts of their family dynamic that are not good. But not everyone has parts of their family dynamic where your brother is, like, throwing glasses at a cabinet and shattering them or breaking your nose. Like, there's there's a spectrum. And I think that, like, very rational men like Connell kind of accept that the world is a way. And things that are outside the bounds of that way, he's kind of like, well, but things are supposed to be in that box. And it doesn't really make sense that it's not in that box. Because that box is what is good and right. Right. Why would they act that way? They're your family. <laughs> yeah. It That that line makes me wince. Because we are yeah. like so in Marianne's head that when he's like, your family loves you, I love you. Like, 
she's never going to believe that you love her if you are putting that dynamic in the same box as the way that you feel for her. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, that's what's so, like, hard and, like, real about it to me is that, like, from his perspective, he's, like, and he, like, talks about this a lot. Like, he's, like, I don't understand, like, why Marianne is so, like, like, why she, like, believes that she is so unlovable and fucked up. And it, like, makes it, it makes me kind of feel unlovable and fucked up. Like, she, he talks about, like, feeling when he's with Helen, which is this, like, very, like, healthy and, like, normal and rational woman who's studying medicine instead of, like, being a a rich, beautiful art college girl like Marianne. He's with her, and while he's with her, he, like, talks about, like, how he, like, feels like such a, like, healthy and stable person when he's with her, and he realizes that, like, Marianne, like, has always had something a little bit broken about her. And when I read that, I was like, oh, Connell, like, you don't get it. You don't understand. (laughs) And, but then he later does. Like, he's, he, like, kind of has those feelings, and then he, like, later kind of comes around to realizing that, like, she does feel that way but not like permanently and not on purpose it's just like something that she's kind of like working through and like as she gets more distance from her family she starts to like feel more like worthy of love which is kind of like the arc that I think she goes on where she like when she's in Sweden she's really like accepting horrible treatment and when she's with Jamie she's accepting horrible treatment and she just like sort of allows herself to be like treated like trash on purpose because she thinks that that's like the natural state of affairs like that's how it should be she's like recreating the dynamic she has with her family and then like she sort of changes over the course of the novel into someone who like believes because of Connell and like the way that he treats her that she is like fit to be loved by another person and like truly loved. They do love each other. Yeah, they really do. I think the thing about their relationship is that that is so good to me and is so realistic in comparison to a lot of the other romance that we've read and I guess that kind this kind of happens in conversation with friends too is like they're from very pretty deeply different financial backgrounds and like like Connell is the type of guy who would take a taxi to change the tire on Marianne's car because she needed help yeah like he very much so is a doer and I think Marianne is more of maybe like a helper in a relationship like she, I think, probably quietly manages things that, like, so that Connell doesn't have to think about them. She pays the check while he's in the bathroom. I don't think that happens in the book, but that's the kind of thing I think that she would do. Like, yeah. they both definitely take care of each other in different ways, but they both, like, offer a lot to each other. Yeah, and I think both of them, and maybe this is just my point of view as someone who, like, likes to be taken care of without having to ask for it which I get is <laughs> bad generally um and I'm getting lots better at asking for help with things that I need help with but like it seems like both of them are so in tune to each other that those are things 
aside from the lots of major miscommunications that happen in this book, like, are things that they, like, generally try to do for one another. I think that she, like, creates these dynamics in her relationships where she wants to, like, submit to someone. And she, like, creates, like, a dynamic where she, like, wants to sort of, like, empty herself of, like, the desire for tenderness because she feels like she doesn't deserve it. And so she, like, purposefully, like, she, like, wants men to treat her poorly. She, like, asks them to treat her poorly. Literally. And she's with these, like, horrid men. Like, truly the worst men that you can think of. They're horrible. One of them is the son of a guy who, like, literally started the European banking crisis. And the other one is this, like, snobby, like, violent... Swedish artist who has no redeeming qualities. No. <laughs> and none. Yeah, they're both horrible and she like stays with them both for like an excruciatingly long time. And when we're in her head, when we're in her perspective, we see how like it's not that she like really feels that she like deserves to be treated that way or like likes being treated that way but she just like doesn't want to like almost like feel the like to like put in the effort required to like open herself up to like actually being like loved by someone she doesn't think that she's like worthy of it and so she's like I'd rather have this like very obviously horrible dynamic than have like a much more like conventionally horrible dynamic with someone who like loves me but maybe not quite enough or not in the right way you know and I think that Connell is like someone who like she doesn't she like truly does feel so like vulnerable to him that she doesn't have to like pretend to be vulnerable like she says that in a couple places she's like I don't need him to like hit me or like be mean to me in order to, like, feel, like, a sense of vulnerability to him. I just, like, naturally feel that way. Yeah. Well, and she, like, I don't know if she gets off on being degraded or if she just feels like she should be degraded sexually. Like, it, I think she kind of doesn't even know yeah or I didn't read closely enough both could be true I think that it's not that she really like likes it so like for people who have not read it she like actually does have this like sadistic boyfriend and like both of them I guess are sadists and so she also like at one point asks Connell to hit her during sex and he's like um no I don't want to and it kind of like causes a rift between them for a little bit So I think that she, like, thinks she's supposed to like it or feels like it will, like, give her something. Like, she says when she's in Sweden, she's, like, talking about, like, it would, it's not that I, like, enjoy it, but I do desire it. Like, I don't want it, but I desire it because that way it, like, things feel, like, more right. And I think that that's, like, similar in some ways to how Francis from Conversations with Friends, like, self-harms like I think that it's just a form of self-harm for her instead of a form of like genuine like 
pleasure seeking, which I do think a lot of people on Goodreads are talking about like this is not a good representation of the BDSM community and like she's kind of like doing an like a roundabout kink shame here, which I don't know anything about that, so I don't really I don't know. I can't speak to that. But it does seem that Sally Rooney is using like sadomasochism as sort of like a psychological shorthand for Marianne's like uh trauma with her abusive family yes for sure and also the like Sally Rooney like talks about at the end of the book I just found it because it's right at the very end where like Connell doesn't hit her he isn't physically violent to her but like he finds a way to make it so she can still be, like, very submissive in bed and, like, please him without, like, being violent, which I don't think Colin, Connell ever would be the way Connell's only want for violence is when he finds out people are being cruel to Marianne. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he's like, I could fly to Sweden and kill him. Yeah. And, like, when the, I think, I personally think the climax of the book, if there can be one in a plot with no book, in a plot with no book, (laughs) in a book with no plot, is not when Marianne goes home and her brother, like, breaks her nose, but right before that when Marianne asks Connell to hit her and Connell says no. And Marianne, like, literally stops them in the middle of the act of having sex and leaves. Because she is, like, so humiliated and, like, sad. Um, and then she goes home and won't talk to her brother, so her brother decides to, like, break down her bedroom door and slams it into her face and breaks her nose and she calls Connell. Like, that is what happens, but... Why did I start that? Oh, to make it clear that Connell, like, would never hit her and is not interested in hitting her and, like, no bone in his body wants to, but, like, they still found a way to, like, have that dynamic in their relationship. So I think to a point, like, Marianne needs to do that, but she needs to do it with someone who actually loves her and not just someone who is apparently a sadomasochist and didn't know about it until she introduced the idea. Yeah, and she also, like, I have, like, heard, I guess, about there's lots of different ways that people can kind of, like, like, play out a, like, a situation in a different way with, like, what you're doing sexually in your relationships and like lots of people talk about how like your relationships are sort of like you recreating some sort of dynamic that is like unresolved with your family and like the Freud of it all etc and so like obviously there's like something there there's a relationship there and like in the climax which I would agree is sort of like when you take the like him ask her asking him to hit her and then Alan breaking her nose when you take that like all together I think that that's definitely like the climax of the book because it's like where she is like asking for violence to be done to her 
it is not. And then she is like, clearly does not want this violence to be done to her. It is. And then Connell like immediately steps in like to protect her and is like, if you touch her again, I will fucking kill you. And obviously, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) obviously hot. And she like never goes back to her family, which is, I think, a really, really good thing for obvious reasons. But also not just because like we don't want our friend Marianne to be sad, but also because like you can see how as soon as she like gets out from under her family, she like starts to no longer really have the need to like play out that dynamic. Um yeah. not just with like whatever she like wants sexually, but like in general. Like her relationship with Connell, like begins as her sort of just like doing anything that he wants her to do like when their relationship is a secret because he's popular at school and she isn't he she's like i will never tell anyone like i just wouldn't do that and he and this might be a good transition to talking about him he like part of what he initially finds like appealing about their relationship is that he can like do and say anything to her and she won't like talk about it to anyone And that is, like, really, really valuable to him because as you, like, see in the first couple of chapters, everything else that he does is, like, discussed a lot at school. Like, he talks about, like, any of his, like, sexual experiences, his first sexual experiences as a teenager were, like, discussed in the locker room with, like, exaggerated pantomime afterwards because those girls would, like, go and, like, talk about, like, here's what Connell did, like, here's what he was like, which seems horrible to, like, yeah. anybody, especially someone who is so anxious, like, Connell. <laughs> and so, like, Marianne is this person who, like, doesn't, who's, like, above that, like, groupthink enough that he feels like he can actually just, like, be a person and not, like, constantly have this, like, external observer in his head be like are you being weird is this how normal people act normal people is this like a weird thing to do or are you being regular like I just think that she always kind of like offers that to him and it's partially because she is so submissive to him and he doesn't really realize that until like later on in the book I think which I think that's part of when we see Connell starting to like I think realize that he wants better for himself and for Marianne is he is I think talking to her in his kitchen or her kitchen and says something in his head along the lines of like he thinks that like she would just sit there and like let him hit her like not even in a sexual way but just like he thinks that like she is so I don't know. Would you say that Marianne is filled with self self loathing? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. She is like so filled with self loathing and like so willing to accept bad from people that like and that like shakes Connell to his core that he yeah. when he realizes he- that she would just like sit there and let him hit her because he does not want that for her. And he doesn't want that for her. There's a part where he says that she, like, lacks some, like, 
self-protective or like self-preservation instinct that makes other people like legible to him like he feels like he like understands other people's behavior because a lot of it is motivated by like self-preservation and like defense and Marianne just like does not have that and it makes him so like freaked out like he's like bewildered by her because she just doesn't do that and so he's like I don't know how to act because she'll just like let me do anything and I think that that is genuinely like kind of scary to like realize that that you have such like all-consuming power over somebody even though that kind of sounds like it's like I don't know like it doesn't sound like it's something that would be like scary like to the level of Marianne's like internalized fear and self-loathing I do think that for Connell it's like a very deep um like bewilderment that he feels about that well and it's it's both I think power over her but also I would fear for if I even if I had a close friend like I would fear for them if I realized like how much they were willing to just take from other people. Yeah. Like, that is frightening. Because even though Connell is the one who is depressed and, like, potentially has... Not even potentially. I think he does have a little bit of a suicidal ideation. Like, mm-hmm. like Marianne, that is scary to me. Like, it is surprising that she does not have, like... It is surprising that Marianne is not seeing a therapist. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah. like if Marianne was my friend and I realized the extent at which she did not really care for her own physical self, like, I would be trying to help her. Maybe I do have a lot to say about Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> I think she, okay, there's, like, something about her, though, that, like, is really interesting in this narrative because and I didn't think about this until like right now the fact that like she is like so clearly in like a lot of psychological distress for a lot of this novel and is like really seeking out a lot of like self-injurious behavior she is sort of seen as this like fundamentally like like lonely and special and damaged girl and like that is sort of like part of her like mystique to a lot of people not necessarily to Connell like not really to Connell at all but like to a lot of other people that are around them she sort of like has this like mystique that is related to her like physical pain and to her sort of emotional pain like it's like chic almost which shows up in Sally Rooney books a lot unfortunately (laughs) but when it shows up in Connell, like, when you see Connell sort of having this, like, uh, like, deep psychological distress, it's pretty immediately identified by his friend Niall as a, like, sign that he needs to go, like, seek help. And so it's interesting to me how, like, psychological distress in this woman is seen as sort of, like, an innate character trait that just, like, makes her more interesting. but in this man it's seen as like something that he needs to like get fixed professionally you know yeah does that make sense like every woman woman is in crisis but like 
if a man is in crisis, something's very wrong. Well, and maybe it's also that, like, I think we as the reader understand that there's so much depth to Connell, but, like, to a lot of people, he probably just seems like he is, like, a quiet, unassuming, nice guy. And so, like, of course Marianne is an Irish waif who, like, while in an abusive relationship, eats half a croissant a day and then is, like, never hungry again. Like, that's just skinny white girls being skinny white girls. But, like, a strapping young man experiencing mental health issues? We gotta solve that. Yeah. Like, he's just, he's kind of just seen as, like, a good lad. He's just one of the lads. (laughs) And so, like, his, it doesn't make him more interesting for him to be in pain. Whereas, like, for women, a lot of the time it does. I was talking to Lydia about this recently, about how, like, the thing that makes both of us the most uncomfortable about Sally Rooney is how, like, willing she is to, like, make her female characters, like, at least, like, resemble a trope that is, like, really, really problematic, which is, like, that a white woman, like, becomes more beautiful because she's able to suffer beautifully. Like, her suffering makes her, like, more attractive in a way. And, like, you see that with, at least in the first two books. I don't remember that really in the last one, but in the first two books, you definitely have characters who are, like, as they're, like, mental health is deteriorating they're like getting skinnier they're getting more like aloof and chic and interesting and they're wearing berets and you're just like this is i am over this like i was on tumblr in 2012 i know this song i don't like this song like this sucks but it really is unfortunately like very powerful to a lot of people well and it shouldn't be powerful to a lot of people because frankly none of us I don't know about you I am looking haggard when I am suffering <laughs> like yeah me too I, I don't like, suffer beautifully at I all I do not suffer beautifully I cry at the breakfast table over a book when I am suffering and I like get really mad at small things and my hair is greasy and in the last eight weeks I've shaved my legs twice And I've worn shorts every day. Like, there's no, like, people looking at me and thinking I look interesting. There's there's 80-year-olds at Family Tree who I smile at on a day I actually felt pretty good. And they say to me, oh, you look tired. (laughs) Not even 80-year-olds I know! Oh, no. Yeah. So, like, I do not have Irish waif disease. No, me either. I do not. I am from hardy Midwestern stock, and you can tell when stock is low. Yeah, I do not suffer beautifully, I will tell you that. I usually have stains on my shirt. Yeah. My hair is even frizzier than normal. I honestly, like, I relate so much to Connell, because Connell, like, when he is in his deteriorating mental state, he, there's a part where where he's just, like, in between the ensuite bathroom and his bed, and he just, like, lays on the floor for a while, and it's just like, yeah, this is where I'm gonna be. And that's, like, kind of, like, relatable BuzzFeed content to be, like, that feeling when you be on the floor when you're depressed. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that is much more relatable than, like, that feeling when you let an aloof, 
like Swedish artist beat you up when you're depressed. Like, sorry, I cannot really connect to that one, but I can connect to Connell like watching soccer for like hours on end and not changing his clothes. Well, and like people check in on Connell when that happens. When people find out what's going on with uh, Marianne and the Swede, her 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 closest friend, her most normal friend, is kind of like, ooh, give me all the details. He's doing what to you? Instead of being yeah. like, I'm flying to Sweden. Yeah, it's true. And I think it's because people, like, don't know they, well, at least I feel like I would be like, Am I being, like, such a prude and, like, so vanilla by being, like, um, that seems fucked up? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that, like, stupid of me? Is that naive of me? No, to be, like, I think that makes sense because, like, people are people. They can do what they want and you can, like, you can be a masochist in your own relationship. Like, that's allowed. But I just feel like... The things that, and I, God, I'm not going to say that it's not normal, but I kind of am because it doesn't really feel like, like to my understanding, some BDSM relationships do exit the bedroom. Like there are people on leashes at Pride. However, which is like discourse I will not be getting into because I'd, well, there's no soapbox for me on that, because I don't yeah, really have it. that's none of my business. I, that's none of my business. <laughs> but I think it is your business when one of your, like, dearest friends is, like, losing weight rapidly in a country where she is extremely isolated, entering a relationship with a man much older than her. Like, like, Marianne's, like, 21, yeah. Which I think is maybe, also, like, an American 25, but, like, the Brits are more independent. Public transport yeah. makes you more independent. <laughs> but, like, also, you just immediately have the, like, negative associations with, like, the fact that he's, like, taking pictures of her and he's an artist. And she, like, has a line where she talks about how he, like, has really good taste. And he, like, very genuinely good taste. And um, he will often, like, watch a film or something and say, it fails for me. Which I think is actually really funny. (laughs) It fails for me. I was surprised that I didn't see anybody say that on Goodreads when I was reading all the negative reviews. But anyway, there's a quote that I wrote down in my little notes that talks about Lucas, who's the Swede. And he says, it says, from Marianne's perspective, This quality of discernment, Marianne has realized, does not make Lucas a good person. He has managed to nurture a fine artistic sensitivity without ever having developed a real sense of right and wrong. And then she says later that, like, knowing him and knowing that about him makes art seem pointless suddenly. Because, like, if it's not for, like, the development of, like, a better sense of, like, what to do in the world, then, like, what's it for? And I think that, like, my alarm bells really go up when there's like an older male artist who's like taking pictures of a like nude younger vulnerable woman and the main way that he that she in her perspective describes him is by saying he has great taste but no morals like (laughs) hello it just like 
it is so clear that, like, I feel like we're leaving out the, like, reason that she leaves him, which is he tells her he loves her, and she realizes, which is very big for her, that, like, this cannot be love. This cannot be yeah. it. This cannot be, like, all I am to expect out of a loving relationship for the rest of my life. Yes. Which was big. That is That big was a big her. step that for our big. girl, Marianne. Yes. And that is true. And that is true. And I do think it's very interesting to see how, like, their relationships with other people besides each other really, like, show a lot about their, like, internal insecurities. Because for Marianne, she's, like, her arc is, like, realizing over the course of the book that she, like, is worthy of love that, like, there's nothing deeply and innately, like, fucked up about her, that, like, she can be, like, treated tenderly and, like, be hurt by people, but that doesn't have to, like, define her for the rest of her life. And, like, her relationships sort of are her, like, way of working through that, like, getting to that point. Like, they're Jamie, who I hate, her other boyfriend, and Lucas are never going to teach that to her, but Connell can. And then for Connell, his relationship outside of Marianne with Helen, I want to talk about that because for the, for him, it's like this like super, super conventional relationship with like a girl who like there's nothing wrong with her. She just like is a girl who likes him and like has normal, healthy relationships and is normal, quote unquote. And he, during the course of his relationship with her, like especially at the beginning, when he's talking about how, like, happy he is, he just kind of, like, keeps talking about how normal it is, which just demonstrates how much he, like, is on this journey of, like, realizing that he, like, doesn't have to be, like, liked by everyone or be, like, this, like, exactly, like, quote-unquote regular person in order to, like, be loved or whatever like he doesn't have to be that guy he can be who, like who he wants to be but he has this like very strong urge towards like conventionality and like not being I don't know it's never really like clarified exactly what he's so afraid of because like he just doesn't ever want to rock the boat he always wants to be seen as like a good person that everybody likes he has to like be seen as good or he'll die and so his relationship with Helen is sort of, like, his way of, like, trying that on for size, which I think is kind of interesting in contrast to Marianne's relationships, which are, like, so wildly different. Yeah, I feel like maybe Connell is seeking out how he wants his life to be in his relationships, and Marianne is kind of seeking out what she thinks her life deserves to be in her relationships. Youch. Hard. hard. Both of them are hard things to do. Yeah. I think it's funny how at the beginning of their relationship, Marianne says to her, I think when they're still in secondary school, he she says to him at one point, you're a nice person and everyone likes you. And he like replays that back in his head like several, like lots of times. Like it's not the like stuff that she says to him during sex it's not the stuff she says like she says a lot of nice things to him but the thing that she that really like sticks with him is you're a nice person and everyone likes you you're a nice person and everyone likes you you're a nice person and everyone likes you 
like that really is his whole thing like he like needs to feel like he is good and i think marianne like feels like she is innately not good and she's like trying to figure out how to like live while like believing that she is not good you know yeah yeah Do you want to talk about your thoughts and feelings on Connell Waldron? Ugh, okay. So I want to be clear that I think I would have a crush on Connell even if he was not played by Paul Meskel in the show, but that helps. <laughs> um, I think that so many of the little quirky things about Connell are, like, very, very endearing. Like... We, he goes to Trinity, which is, I think, weird to understand, kind of the ivy of the Ireland institutions. And yes. he goes in as an English major because uh, Marianne convinces him to while they are having their secret high school relationship. And he figures out very early on that all the rich kids in his classes aren't doing the readings. <laughs> They're just talking out of their ass. And... Something I find very lovable about Connell is that he actually does his readings for class. And part of it is for a sad reason. It's because he doesn't really have any friends. So he just does all his readings. Um, He has to take a lap around the library reading the Jane Austen novel Emma. Because he firmly believes that Mr. Knightley was actually going to marry Harriet. And it upset him so much he had to take a walk. Which I think is a lot of people's experience reading Emma. I think it's a very upsetting Austen novel. Like, you're supposed to feel a lot of discomfort reading Emma, I think. Which I think I guess you are kind of supposed to feel discomfort reading all Austen novels. She is, like, really critiquing a lot of things in all of them. Can I say that I think that something about Emma that really, like, uh, is distracting to me is when I hear Knightley, all I think is Kira Knightley, and that's she's already in universe because she's in Pride and Prejudice. And so when I think Mr. Knightley, I like literally think of Kira Knightley in drag. Oh, <laughs> I, like, that's, that's very funny. <laughs> I like can't get it out of my head. I know that that's silly, but it's just stuck in my brain. And you know how she like talks with like her whole mouth like she really like uses her teeth when she talks oh god she really does that is also part of it and it's just like it gets in the way for me anytime I like hear about I've not actually read Emma but like I've heard people talk about it and anytime I hear them talk about it that's what I picture (laughs) I mean Emma has like one of the most romantic lines in in books written in it which is if I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. And that is some Sally Rooney shit. And that, well, that's also some repressed British person shit. <laughs> True. Like, they can talk about anything that isn't serious. You do talk a lot about how Sally Rooney's characters never talk to each other. And, you know, maybe it's just the custom of their people. Who are we without our customs? In this book, I will say, I think she does a much better job of showing that they do talk to each other. Even if we're not getting a ton of dialogue, there are 
every time that they are together romantically and even when they are not together romantically, like, it's very clear that they are in constant conversation. Like, like something that was missing in conversations with friends is like, they would, even when they were together with the, with his wife knowing about it, they still, there was no, like, pillow talk. Ever. Yeah. And no implication of pillow talk. And this book, we at least, like, know that they are, like, holding each other in the night, talking about anything and everything, even if we don't know what anything and everything is. And they're, like, best friends for even the parts when they're not having sex. Like, even when they are not, like, doing some weird thing where they're, like, you uniquely love me and are the only one who loves me like they still sort of feel that way without saying it like it doesn't it's not always like sexual and romantic they just always sort of have this sense that like the only person who like will fully understand these thoughts that I'm thinking is this other person which I think makes me root for them a lot more than if you just have like a relationship like Francis and Nick's which we talked about so much last episode about how they like don't even like each other for real or at least we don't see that as much and maybe we both just happened to miss it but I feel like Connell they don't and like each other really do genuinely like each other and like change each other like that's the thing is that they like really sort of like shape each other over the course of their like growing up and both sort of like learn things from each other which I think is really beautiful have I told you about my theory about Sally Rooney's final paragraphs? In this book or in any book? In any book. I have a theory. Oh. So my theory is that every Sally Rooney book, if you just read, like, the last two paragraphs, you get, like, the entire thesis of the whole book. Insofar as a novel can, like, have a thesis, each of her endings, like, is a full articulation of, like, what the whole book is about it's almost like you could like start from there and then read the book and be like oh this is what she was trying to say through this whole thing and like in conversations with friends it's like people can't always like sit around and think they have to like live you can't always take the analytical position do something like action and like experience is better than intellectualizing all the time and for this one the main like thesis I think is that people can really change one another she says like when Marianne is like telling him that he should go and she'll always be there for him he's she says they've done a lot of good for each other really she thinks really people can do really change one another and I feel like that is like the whole thing that they like both are growing up a lot but they're like specifically growing up a lot in response to Like, the love that the other person gives to them, you know? Or even the love that the, like, other person doesn't give to them. Like, something that is very bad behavior from Connell is he, while her, he and Marianne are sleeping together in high school, asks another girl to essentially the, to my understanding, the end of summer prom. Mm -hmm. And she leaves school. Yeah. Like, she's like, okay, I'm done. And he, like, feels really terrible and texts her and calls her and she ignores and ignores and ignores. 
And then he's out on the lawn with one of his buddies the night of the dance. And his friend is essentially like, well, we all knew you were having sex. We were waiting for you to tell us about it. And Connell realizes that he has done this, like, horrible thing to Marianne for, like, no reason. But, like, yeah, Marianne grows through it. Connell also grows through it because I think he thought he was a... I don't know. I think he thought he was not a great person, but a good person. And I think it was probably good for him to realize his own capacity for selfishness because I think he spends the rest of the books the book trying not to have that same capacity yeah because he's like what he's doing when he like asks another girl to the depths is like prioritizing this like superficial piece over like being true to himself like he like talks about a couple places he's like i felt like i was like two people at once and i like eventually would have to decide which person i was going to be and he just like like runs himself in circles like trying to like be both of these people like the person that he is with Marianne and the person he is with his friends and like I think that all of us have like been in a situation where we were like trying so hard not to come across as a bad guy or like trying so hard not to like hurt someone's feelings that we like end up doing literally the worst possible thing and that's exactly what he does like he's like trying to like keep the peace whatever that means and like be thought of as like a good lad by his friends no one no one like that was all in his head like no one was thinking of it that way it doesn't make any sense which is exactly how these things tend to go like i definitely have been in that situation before where i like like whip myself up into into a frenzy being like i have to avoid this outcome i have to avoid this outcome i have to avoid it and then the thing happens or doesn't happen but like could have happened and then you realize oh like that literally like that wasn't even bad it was like a shadow on a wall you know well and like i guess the thing that i'm thinking of is like no one is as good of a puppeteer over their own life as they think they are Right. Like, none of us can pull any, like, if if any of us tried to go on Sesame Street, we would look so stupid. Like, (laughs) none of us know how to work the puppet. And the fact that, like, Connell always kind of, like, has this, like, underlying feeling that, like, his friends from school are kind of stupid, and that they see right through him and know that he's sleeping with Marianne is really funny to me. Yeah. Well, because the like Rooney characters do tend to like think they're smarter than everyone else. Well, and I also well, and maybe they weren't even that smart. Maybe they were also making assumptions. Yeah, like they just happened to be right. Yeah, because like Marianne is like assaulted at a high school party by one of her older brother's friends, and Connell drives her home. And, like, I would bet money that, like, one of his horned-up high school buddies was like, oh, I know what's gonna happen. He's gonna be her knight in shining armor, and then they're gonna fuck. And then just, like, ran with it. Yeah, that makes sense. High schoolers love to make assumptions. And that is true. And I do see that happening. 
Um, okay, we've been recording for almost an hour and 20 minutes. Do we have other things to say specifically about Connell? No, I think we should talk about the ending. Okay, so at the ending of this book, I feel like the best way to summarize it is we find out that Connell is going to school in the U.S., and Marianne encourages him to go, and it ends with essentially Marianne saying, you know I'll always be here, but the idea is essentially that they will not stay together while he is in New York. And as a former long-distance girly, I don't really think I understand that choice. I know there's a big time difference and a big life difference, but also this whole book is about how these are the people for each other. Like, every yeah. relationship that they're in with other people sucks for them and for the other person. Because yeah. there is always the Marianne hanging over Connell and the Connell hanging over Marianne. And that is a good point about the other partner. As a current long-distance girly, I kind of have, like, a slightly different perspective about this. Yeah, so since you haven't been in a long-distance relationship in a while, I will tell you... <laughs> Um, I feel like the thing about this is that, like, Connell is going to this MFA program in New York, which is, like, a huge, 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 like, transition, and I feel like since they haven't been, like, I think it would be different if they had been, like, in a stable relationship for a while and had broken up. But, like, they don't really, they don't really do that very much. Like, they aren't really each other's boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, hardly, is there any time that they're, like, officially, like, dating? I don't know if, I, I feel like, not to be gross, I feel like Connell and Marianne transcend boyfriend, BFGF titles. (laughs) Right. Which, I I kind of think that that's my point. Like, I feel like they are always going to be sort of, like, in each other's lives, writing emails back and forth, like, seeing each other when they can, like, all of those things. But, like, the idea of, like, boyfriend-girlfriend, like, Connell does have that, like, very conventional relationship when he's with Helen, and, like, that is satisfying to him in some ways. But, like, even though he, like, does sort of like that role when he, like, comes back to Marianne, it doesn't seem like they're really doing that still. Like, there's never any discussion of, like, them being, like, in a relationship or, like, committed to each other. And so I feel like that's, like, kind of part of what makes this not a super, like, sad ending to me. And I think I'm in the minority on that. But I just feel like they not only transcend BFGF, but also kind of transcend, like, the idea that you, like, need to be, like, continuously together in order to, like, have a happy ending. Like, I think the happy ending is that they will always, like, in a sense, be together. But I do think you're right that, like, even though I think that that is beautiful, like, if my boyfriend had a beautiful transcendent relationship with someone else, I don't think that I would love that. No, I think I'd handle it really poorly. Yeah, I I don't think that I would think it was beautiful or transcendent at all, actually. I, and their partners in the book consistently are like, well, why don't you go talk to Marianne then? Yeah. Which they end up kind of, like, coming across, like, a little bit, like, whiny with that. But, like, they're right a little bit. Like, I think I would act like that, honestly. Oh my god, I would act like that. Like... 
I'm jealous enough when, like, other things take up Sam's time. Like, not other people. Why don't you go to talk to Smokestack about that? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you go talk <laughs> to the other captains? Maybe that's where... I think where long distance tends to, like, be, like, it's very hard to... Like, you have to put a lot of energy into just, like, really, really listening well enough to know, like, what the what the vibes are like what the expectation what is, matters and what you, doesn't yeah like whether you should be reacting by being like oh damn that's crazy or like really being like i'm so sorry like i hope you're okay <laughs> da, da, da. like it's kind of hard to know if you are like actively like really focused on something else that's happening directly in front of you to like know exactly what's expected of you in that conversation and so you have to put a lot of work into it. Like, it can get really difficult. And I think that part of, like, Marianne and Connell's decision to, like, not try and do that is a really, like, sensible one, to be honest. <laughs> to, because they, like, they don't have practice at that besides, like, their emails, which are, like, definitely a, like, really important, like, part of their intimacy. But I think that, like, they sort of make the decision there to say like that's the level of intimacy that we'll have while we are apart from each other and then after that we will see what happens i also think i think this book is potentially set pre-smartphone i don't think the iphone exists in the normal people universe it's like 2011 to 2015 but they like he does skype But he doesn't have, like, why are they emailing so much then? Why don't they just text each other all the time? They're doing long form, like, they're really doing some writing. Like, they are putting a lot into it. Like, when Connell is like, oh, I thought of this, like, good phrase. Like, I should put that in a letter, in an email to Marianne. Like, I think that the intention is, like, our conversation will sort of just like be ongoing and like folded through the day and they will kind of like decide what they want to describe to each other in like like a lot of detail I don't know I think it makes sense for them there's people that I like I don't have any like ongoing email conversations with anybody at the moment but there are people that I know who like it would make sense to me I think like for our friendship to sort of like unfold under email or over email like more so than texting just because there's some people that like the way that you communicate to them you kind of just want to like monologue for a little bit yeah that's fair that's fair but I do think like I do wish that they had the opportunity or we had the opportunity to see them doing the sort of like more conventional relationship thing where they're like doing the day in day out like can you pick up some peppers from the store thing just because i like love that but they do go home from to christmas together and they also um there is the sally rooney short story that i don't remember if it's about connell and marianne or if people just think it's about connell and marianne but there's a short story where she takes him to the dentist to get a root canal. Oh, interesting. 
interesting. Yeah, I think a couple of yeah. years after college. Here, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. I'm not a Rooney head, I guess. Not a real one. Let's see, it's been more than an hour and a half. Let's let's <laughs> read the Goodreads. Yes. Okay. So I have done some scrounging. I actually got really obsessed with reading all of the comments on Goodreads. Like not just the reviews, but also the comments on the reviews. Because there were so many people on the Goodreads for normal people who like left a negative review and then went back and made an edit of it, like at the top that said, like, I'm allowed to have my opinion. Don't leave a don't leave a comment saying that you disagree with my opinion. It's a waste of time. Like they're just it's like very aggressively and then I looked for the comments because like obviously you have to like go look for the comments that that's a response to and I couldn't find any comments like people must be like deleting the negative comments on their Goodreads reviews because it I couldn't find so funny any... of them to do that there's like so much like infighting in the Goodreads community that I was not aware of at all until I was reading comments for normal people specifically because everybody like they are fighting the girls the girlies are fighting on goodreads about this and so i put a couple on here and there's one that i want to read because i want to do a rebuttal of it and then we can go from there so i'm going to read it it's a two-star review and it's kind of the excerpt that i put in here is kind of long and i'm going to read the whole thing because i need to disagree with it <laughs> got it marianne comes from a wealthy and abusive family we are supposed to feel bad for her connell was raised by his mother and suffers from bouts of anxiety and depression we are also supposed to feel bad for him that they have issues that they can't cope with is realistic but what i didn't appreciate is the romanticizing of their difficulties what i didn't like is that being alienated is a synonym of cool and that seeking sadomasochistic relationships is understandable slash inevitable if you come from an abusive family and this is part of like a very negative reviews, two out of five stars. And it's kind of like typical of the negative reviews of this. The thing that I don't like about this review and reviews like this is I feel like ex- except for the like Irish waif syndrome that we were talking about earlier, I don't think that there's a lot of romanticizing of their difficulties. And I especially don't think that there's a lot of like alienated as sim- synonym of cool. I actually think that that's, like, kind of the exact opposite of what Rooney is trying to get at in, like, every novel of hers. Like, she has characters who feel alienated and also come across as cool. But, like, the whole thing that they're doing over the course of the novel is, like, realizing that they're... The thing that makes them feel alienated is not real or is not a good part of themselves. And, like when they sort of like open themselves up to being in love and to being tender with one another they're like rejecting that impulse to like feel special and like unique from everyone else and so i just really get mad at at, like reviews like this because i feel like they're making observations that are really good like yes it is kind of maybe like overly simplistic narratively to have like sadomasochism as a result of your like abusive family and like alienation like making you seem cooler but i just feel like that's like a misreading of what she's actually doing and that 
I want people to like critique it in a little bit of a like slightly more nuanced way because I do think that she like is going too far with some of those tropes and like she's kind of heavy handed with some of it but I think she's like trying to get at this thing that's like no it is not like cool that they are so deeply insecure (laughs) and I am shocked that people like think that it is meant to be read that way I think we're definitely they are trapped by their insecurity and like admit to themselves often that they are trapped by it right and like just because they're smart and like one of them is rich doesn't mean that they like aren't still trapped in their own psyche like they're still definitely like caught up in a prison of their own making like even though they are rich and white and european and it's like odd to me a little bit sometimes when like there's certain authors who get like really really nailed for like their portrayals of like rich white angst and then other authors sort of just like skate free like sally rooney i think is sort of like making a much more self-conscious like critique or like portrayal of that type of person and like the types of preoccupations that they have than a lot of other people and yet like she is getting critiqued a lot more for it and I find that weird I don't know I think people don't like see the irony in her writing enough or like they think she's not doing it on purpose and I'm like I think that she's like a little bit smarter than you think she is oh she definitely is I yeah dumb popular fiction becomes very very popular but like smart popular fiction is also popular for a reason it's not just so people can feel superior by thinking they know better than it yeah like people like books because they make them feel seen yes exactly whether or not it's a dumb book or a smart book Mm -hmm. and like the idea of like coolness i think is sort of like like sally rooney in some ways is just like saying hey all the people you think are cool are actually like deeply and cripplingly insecure and that's why their relationships fail (laughs) What a lesson to learn. Yeah, it's honestly a good lesson to learn. I I was like thinking about that as I was reading like Sally Rooney books in quick succession. I was thinking about how like I look around me and I'm always like, oh, other people are more normal than me. Other people are more well adjusted than me. Their relationships go more smoothly than mine. And then I'm like, no, wait, Sally Rooney told me that even the girl wearing the cool hat is really deeply insecure and feels unlovable. And people say fiction can't teach you things. Okay. Do you want to read the one that your cursor's on? Because they're roasting the shit out of the way that Sally Rooney writes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This one I also put in because I think that it's very funny. I do think one of my favorite things is when someone can, like, really, really roast an author's writing style. Ah, it's so good. So, this... If you've read a Sally Rooney book, this cadence will sound very familiar to you. So it says, I picked up my cup of coffee and took a large gulp, swishing the liquid around in my mouth a little before swallowing. Two stars, I think. I touched my hand to my face and rubbed my nose. I clicked the two-star rating. I closed my eyes and nodded, breathing out slowly. Yes, two stars. (laughs) And that is how she writes... That, that is, is exactly how she writes. 
the like staccato declarative sentences, the like excessive stage direction for like minute facial expressions and gestures. Short yeah. little sentences. Yeah. Okay. Four stars. Dot dot dot. And I say liked it in the sense that it made me very miserable. Dot dot dot. I mean, yeah, but also, I don't think this book makes you miserable. I feel like this book ends hopefully. And that, like, both characters grow and change in a way that is, like, good. And, like, makes you think about what it is like to grow up and change and want to be different and, like, pursue that. Yeah. I think that when people say that normal people makes them sad and miserable... I think it's because they feel that the only way for a romance to be good or to make them feel good is for the people to be happily ever after, figurines of them on a wedding cake, never having any problems ever in their lives again. And that's just like not my journey personally, but I like understand that, but I feel like this book also does not make me miserable but I think a lot of people that's like representative of how a lot of people feel about it they're like unless they're in love the whole time without any conflict then I'm not happy I as someone who has read a lot of romance these books are different kinds of romance I think that's part of the issue with the way god this is gonna be a two-hour podcast I think I'm gonna have to split it into two episodes (laughs) I think Part of the reason that I am frustrated with there being, there's two types of books for women, maybe three. There's women's fiction, there's women's historical fiction, and there's women's romance. Like, those are the big three, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And, like, women's fiction is like, um, oh, like, uh, what's the one by Celeste Ng that they made the Little Fires Everywhere? And Big Little Lies. Anything that Reese Witherspoon would adapt. Yes. That's women's fiction. And then there's Mm -hmm. um, women's historical fiction, which is like the the Lavender Girls. Yeah. And then there's romance. But when I think most people think of romance, they think of like bodice rippers or cartoon cover romance. But like, like, we should think of lots of different types of romance as like women's fiction or just fiction like yeah I think that women's fiction I resist that category altogether I think it's not necessary it's like there are no chick flicks there are just movies like Barbie is not Barbie's not gonna be a chick flick like people are gonna watch the shit out of Barbie yeah as they should I just, I don't see why there needs to be, like, a a designation, like, a gender designation. People kind of, people sometimes make fun of me for how I tend to have um, a boy taste in movies and a boy taste in books. Will said that to me the other day. Like, you kind of like boy movies. And I think that I should be allowed to do that. And I am. But I don't think the same thing is true of men a lot of the time. Like, I think that there are some men that I know that would like normal people and would benefit from reading it in the same way that I did, which was to like 
be able to like grasp the interiority of other people a little bit better. And I think we can all agree that men raised in a patriarchy could always use more practice like imagining the interiority of others and themselves. And I think that like fiction like this really does that. Like yeah. helps you to kind of like develop that muscle, which is really important. And I want them to get that opportunity. So if you're a man listening to this podcast, I own all of Sally Ruiz's books and you can pick them up from my house whenever you want. I feel like I got to tell you, I think the only two men who listen to this podcast are Diego and Sam. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks to the BFs. Thank you, boys. <laughs> I think um, I think Brennan and Austin will listen when Brennan is on doing hockey, smutty hockey romances. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited for that. I think That's that gonna be a mess. beautiful and special. It is gonna be really fun. Um, okay, the last Goodreads comment. Oh, well, one last thing on the boys should read these books. I don't think boys should read every Sally Rooney book. I think Normal People is the most accessible Sally Rooney book. That's true. Because I gotta tell you, reading Beautiful World, Where Are You?, I literally spent half the book being like, this literary bitch, like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Men okay. can be literary too, Tuck. True. Um, Sam loves to read Cormac McCarthy. I'm worried I'm <laughs> going to have to read The Road to understand Sam better. Oh my god. Have you read Dune? No. No, Tucker, I haven't. I think that my boyfriend... I think that your boyfriend is a better fit for me, actually, because I have read Dune. I read it when I was in high school. Back off! <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Not about Dune, but about... <laughs> um. Yeah, I do need to actually read Dune. He's made it very clear that I do not need the, to read the rest of the Dune books. Yeah. Which is good. Just, like, catch the vibe. Yeah. Well, and, like... The, the, would you love me if I was a worm conversation becomes a lot funnier when the answer is no, if I'm an earthworm and fuck yeah, if I was one of the worms from Dune. If you're Shai Halud, like, obviously. <laughs> like, come through. Yeah. If Shai Halud is listening to this, hit me up. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so this one, I gotta tell you. Uh, this Goodreads review, it reads, like, my friend Lydia, who was on, um, female-specific dystopia month, would write to me in a Snapchat of her, like, taking a, a, you can't see what my hands are doing, um, taking a selfie from, like, way high up, looking up through her eyebrows, with, I am but a lonely, sad, slutty, bitchy whore. That is something Lydia would send me while she was, like, in her bathroom. Or at the Y. Or at the Y, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Like, she would, I, she would, like, really do just, like, some bicep curls. Well, really, she'd do it. She's not ashamed. She would, she would be doing, like, heavy-weighted hip thrusts. And then, like, Bird. send us that Snapchat. Yeah. And but I instead, someone wrote that, that about lonely, about normal people. 
And I think the funniest thing about this is that there's no star rating. Like, you just, she just marked it as red and just said, I am but a lonely, sad, slutty, bitchy whore. She's like, I don't want to share my opinion about this. This could be a one-star review or a five-star review. And you don't know. And you could kind of see it being both. You know? Here's my other question. Did she have a username or did she have just her full ass name on there? That is a good question. I, when I go back to my <laughs> normal people Goodreads tab, I am like 80 comments deep in <laughs> controversy. <laughs> so I'm just going to go to the, the search bar and type in slutty. Oh, that'll work. That'll work really well. While you're doing that, I'll do my little caveat. Oh my god, there are there are eleven reviews that mention the word slutty. <laughs> it's just her first name. But she has like eighty thousand okay. followers on Goodreads. Does she ever put star ratings? This is very I don't capitalize anything ever. If she was just to do yes. no star ratings, just marking as red. No, she rates a lot of them. Oh, fascinating. She she rated Happy Place by Emily Henry five stars. And she was so right for that. <laughs> okay, we've been talking for almost two hours. <laughs> so, um, spoiler alert, we both own this book. I yes. think people should own this book so they can do their once a year normal people reread. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell me if you find a copy that doesn't have the New York Times book review 100 Notable Books 2019 sticker on it. I'd love to swap you. Yeah. No, that's a great point, actually. It is such an eyesore. This is a great, beautiful book that has that ugly fucking stock sticker. Well, well and the sticker. And they also, like, got rid, like, the front cover doesn't go all the way to the edge of the book. Because they had to put a second fold out on the inside of the book that says number one New York Times bestseller. And I know you gotta do everything to sell your book, but like, come on. It just makes it uglier. I think that this is a really beautiful book. And what is what makes this kind of funny, I'm so sorry I'm making this podcast longer and longer, but I just have more to say. <laughs> I really think I might split it into two. And you should. I think that would be a good idea because I'm going to talk about this for a second. There's a whole part in this. <laughs> there's a whole part in this book where Connell is talking a lot about like the economics of selling books and how like a lot of like literary culture is just like people like performing the act of reading for other people and like marketing that and how like the marketing of books just kind of like takes you out of it a lot and it's one of my favorite parts not because of that because that part can get a little bit like it's kind of long but the next part is him talking about like at the same time like I do he like talks about how he's like has these new notes for his stories and he like goes back to literature and he kind of is talking about how like the marketing and the economics of it all like is gross and makes him feel gross but the literature itself is really beautiful and that's where you get one of the most famous lines from the book, which is, life offers up these moments of joy despite everything. And I love that line. Because I, too, like Connell, tend to ruminate on the things I don't like about the things I like, which is not a fun <laughs> thing to continuously do. But 
it is so ironic how there's like a whole like several pages of how like the literary machine just like pumps out these books and like tries to market them in any way they possibly can and it kind of like undermines the integrity of the books themselves and then you have this beautiful cover that really like represents the themes of the book and then there's an ugly fucking sticker on it that ruins it and you're like okay read the inside where it talks about how annoying this is all that to say, I asked first, so if any of you have a copy without the New York <laughs> Times sticker on it, I asked first. Thank you very much for your consideration. And I asked second, so if anybody is just sitting on a mountain of these. Oh my god. Know. A bunch of library copies of normal people. Those probably have some bodily fluids on them. I don't know why you'd say that to me. <laughs> yeah, Actually, there's not really that much sex in this book. There's more sex in the next book. So maybe, probably actually not. Oh, you meant in like a beat-off way? Gross! Yeah, what do you think I meant? What, what is I that? Meant? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, so what? I just wasn't thinking, come. Like... <laughs> I, really was thinking, <laughs> I wasn't really thinking it through that much. Like, I don't think that logistically that actually would happen. I was just thinking about, like, how I would be, I would feel a little bit weird about, like, getting a book from the library that was, like, a bodice ripper or something. Like, I would be like, I feel like this is, like, too intimate with oh, the, like, the yeah. masses. Like, the human community, the human family, that's just a little much for me. <laughs> I'm also not really much of a romance reader. Like, that's not, I don't know. I don't really do much of that. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it would become normal for me. But I can't I wait to, to hear what you have to say about Akatar. I cannot <laughs> wait. The Watch out, guys. That I've heard about. Jess and I are gonna, Jess and I are gonna read Akatar for November. We were gonna do Taylor Jenkins read, but. We're gonna read. We're gonna do it. Sarah J. Mossheads, get ready. There are so many high school girls who are obsessed with those books. I'm gonna have so much to say just from a sociological perspective. <laughs> if you think, if we did two hours on like a 200 page book, what the fuck are we gonna do on like an 800 page book? <laughs> I'm gonna have to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anywho, this has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Follow us on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Send us an e- email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. Um, this might come out in two episodes. We'll see. Oh, it's going to be a lot of editing. Um, but that's okay. Because we had so much to say. Um, <laughs> people have been salivating for Sally Rooney Month. This is just more content. Um, Sally is short for saliva. Oh, <laughs> saliva Rooney. <laughs> okay. Um, bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. <laughs>